0: I'm Dick Summer, and it's time to say goodnight. This is a quiet place to rest your head, a safe place to hide a hurting heart, a gentle place to fall. We just call this place Goodnight. I am sitting here in my big, manly, comfortable black leather poppet chair in my living room charging up my Christmas jolly. Some of the stories that I'm going to tell you for the next few weeks, I have told you before. I guess you could say they're old stories, but then Christmas is an old story too. A happy, musical, smiling, crying, laughing, jolly old story. You know, Christmas stories, I love them. Lots of stories about Christmas in my book, Staying Happy, Healthy, and Hot, available at Amazon, which is a shameless plug. (laughs) Because I was on the radio for a long time, I guess, I couldn't help but put some stories in there about one-hit wonders, including some Christmas one-hit wonders, some Christmas songs written by composers who never had another hit. ¶¶ I have a, one of my favorite Christmas songs coming along in just a few minutes. It is by my son, Dave, who is both a musician and a computer programmer. Radio and baseball both love statistics, and I love them both. I batted a thousand one year. <laughs> I never let the guys forget it. The only time I got up to hit that season, I hit a screaming line drive over short. So I was the league's one-hit wonder that year. It's just a fun thing for me, but think about how having a big hit, but only one hit ever, must be for some people. Like like Gene Chandler, even changed his name legally to the Duke of Earl, and he never had another hit. Think of the terrible frustration the singing nun must have felt. She left the convent to chase a musical career, and she never had another hit. How about the lawyer by the name of Francis Key? couldn't sleep one night, so he composed his one hit, The Star-Spangled Banner. How about Mildred and Patty Hill? Their one song was Happy Birthday to You. It became one of the three most popular songs in the English language. The other two are all Lang Syne and For He's a Jolly Good Fellow. It's a simple songs. But for my money, the biggest number one hit of all time was a song that was written by an organist and a priest. Joseph Moore was the priest. Franz Gruber was the organist. I guess I'm a little bit biased because my dad was a church organist. So I know how busy Franz Gruber must have been about this time of year, training his choir for Christmas. It's a really big deal. My dad used to double the usual choir rehearsal schedules. And then some nights he'd go to the church and practice by himself. I was just a little kid then, but he took me with him sometimes, and I loved that. My mom had knit him a soft black sweater to wear because the church wasn't heated at night and it was cold. It was a big church. In fact, it's a cathedral now. He brought a flashlight with him because it was totally dark in there, except for that candle that they always keep lit up there by the altar. And There was always a a slight trace of incense in that cold dark air. The church was big enough to hold thousands of people but those nights before Christmas, it was just Dad and me. Not the kind of thing you forget. And Dad loved playing Bach's Toccata and Fugue on that big old five keyboard organ, and most of all, he loved hitting that low note on the pedals. You know, the thing goes da Da-da-da, da 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 da, bomb. <laughs> it hit that note, and, and and the church would rumble a little bit. You could feel it because those pipes were like 32 feet tall. It was incredible. He'd look over at me and grin and his, his mustache would twitch a little. My brother John got his musical talent from my dad. Skipped me, but three of my sons got my share. My son Dave does a Christmas album every year. It's not for sale. It's a family affair. But he said it'd be okay for me to play one cut for you right now. Here it is. That's from David Summers' album called Christmas Brast. And Yes, one guy played all those instruments. I'm a little proud of him. He called my dad Gross Pop. I think Gross Pop would be pleased and proud. In fact, I'll bet his little mustache would twitch. But we were talking about another long-ago organist by the name of Franz Gruber a few minutes ago. It seems that after all that long, hard work preparing the choir for that big Christmas Eve night, a little mouse got into the organ and and ruined it by chewing through the bellows so he couldn't use it. Without the organ, the choir couldn't sing all that complicated music. So Father Moore, who is the pastor, sat down and he wrote a little poem. And Franz Gruber, the organist, composed the music for their one-hit wonder. Franz Gruber played it on the guitar and the choir had no trouble singing along. It was so simple. It was silent night. Absolutely wonderful Christmases as a kid. My thanks to Mom and Dad for that. And my thanks to My Lady wench for not spoiling things by making me grow up. More than likely, you know the story of how Clement Moore wrote a visit from St. Nicholas, and that's actually where we got most of our ideas about what Santa Claus ought to be like. Well, Clement Moore wrote the visit from St. Nicholas for his kids. He didn't want to have it published because, frankly, Clement Moore was a stuffy professor of Greek literature, and he was afraid the other stuffy professors would laugh at him. But his wife liked it a lot, she started sending it around to a lot of friends, and eventually she got it published. And our version of Santa Claus was born. And twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. But that was not the case at my place the other night. The other night, I had to confront in battle a little furry monster. I called it the Battle of the Bathroom, and it started exactly at 4.18 a.m., which I know because I caught a quick glimpse of the numbers on the digital clock on the nightstand when I hit the wall. You know, for a Louis Louis generation guy like me, I have to tell you it was a true test of manhood. And I couldn't back down if I was ever going to coax my Lady Wonder Winch down from the top of her dresser. I had no choice. I was going to have to go. Mono a mouse. Let me back up a little here and explain exactly what happened. I was asleep. okay. In fact, I was in the middle of a dream that, as I recall, seemed to have something to do with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Not unusual for me. I didn't even notice my lady wonder wench getting out of bed and going for a potty break. But just as Catherine Zeta was smiling seductively and introducing me to her twin sister in my dream. Wonder Wench cut loose with a shriek that must have cracked windows all the way to Greg's house down the block. And without even waiting for instructions from my brain, my legs did about a quarter of a mile in 1.2 seconds. That's because I happened to be lying on my side at the time. And then in the process, somehow, one of my feet hit the floor, which, of course, caused me to run right into Mr. Wall. And that woke me up enough to realize that I had to immediately deal with the fact that Wonder Wench had either seen an asteroid the size of Asia hurtling directly towards us, or the New York Mets had blown another pennant race, or there was a mouse loose somewhere within our zip code and i didn't have too long to think about it either because the bathroom door slammed and a pink streak flashed into the bedroom and up onto a chair and it was pretty obvious that ms wench was considering climbing up to an even safer position on top of her dresser now as a louis louie generation guy i've been around long enough to know that trying to calm a woman down with words while she is trying to climb up on her dresser, is not only not going to work, but it's like trying to put out a kitchen fire with a can of gasoline. So it was obviously time for action. I was going to have to go head to Jaws with the mouse. Mono a mouse Me against Mickey. And it wasn't going to be a catch and release either because Ms. Wench was calling quite enthusiastically for a scalp. Mickey had to go down. All right, so I quickly slipped on my slippers and I pulled on some shorts to protect my most vulnerable parts from possible retaliation on the part of the mouse. I grabbed my baseball glove from the top of the closet and I went on attack. I opened the bathroom door just a crack so that he couldn't come running out and up my leg and there he was. He was about two inches long, probably weighed in the... maybe three or four ounces, and he was trying to hide behind the bathroom scale. I could see his two malevolent red eyes gleaming at me, fangs bared, tail thrashing back and forth in anticipation of the battle. My plan was to distract him by talking to him while my baseball glove hand sneaked around behind him for the grab, and things were going well. I was bent down just a couple of feet from the snarling monster and... My baseball glove was just inches away from the catch, and he jumped vertically right up in the air, a good two feet right in my face. He was going on attack. So I I did a a quick retreat, and I, I tripped over the spare toilet paper holder, and I landed on my fanny. And the mouse countered by jumping behind a wicker laundry basket. So I got up, and I slowly and carefully pulled the basket away from the wall, and I could see him lurking looking up at me and then he started squeaking he was issuing a challenge i swear he was going mouseo amano and he didn't plan on losing So obviously I wasn't going to take that, and I shoved the basket against the wall hard because I figured I'd flatten them there, but he was too fast for me. He streaked around into the open broom closet, so I started thinking, yeah, 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 thank you, Mr. Mouse. I'll just grab a broom and clock you with it. And pow, he jumped up at me again. And I tripped over the rug and I fell on my fanny again and I could hear his squeaks. And I swear, he was laughing at me. He was laughing at me. He was looking out from behind the toilet plunger and laughing. So he was was obviously way too fast for me to catch him or hit him. And I, I was thinking, I gotta slow him down. How am I gonna do that? And then I saw a can of hairspray in the closet. And I remember thinking when I was watching King Kong, if only the guys had had a can of hairspray, they could spray it on that fur, and that would slow down even King Kong. So there I was, Mano Amauso, armed with a baseball glove in one hand and a can of hairspray in the other. And looking back on it, that is a weird picture, I got to admit. But anyway, he was back behind the scale again, and I, I cut loose a spritz of spray, and I got him. I saw him kind of blink, and he jumped again right over me, and he disappeared, I swear. He just disappeared. He was Mickey Mouse with Michael Jordan moves. I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find him. I even looked in the medicine cabinet. He was gone. But I knew he was too much of a battler to just give up, I knew he'd be back. So. This morning, I went to the hardware store to acquire some weapons of mouse destruction. You know, it used to be you could get those little wooden mouse traps or some mouse poison, if you prefer. But I guess mouse terrorism must be on the rise around here because the weapons of mouse destruction shelves at the hardware store are now crammed with what you can only call 21st century technology. There are traps that look like little dollhouses. And you lure the mouse in there one way or another, probably a smear of peanut butter or a slice of cheese or, I don't know, maybe a, a 3D picture of some seductively posed mini mouse. Anyway, he goes in there and an electric charge does him in as he passes the doorway. Battery's not included. Lots of the traps are designed so that you don't have to actually see the poor little guy. You just throw out the whole trap while he's in there. Not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> But anyway, I got some mouse poison and a couple of traps and I put them around the house. And sure enough, right after lunch, went down to the computer room and there he was. Motionless. Sprawled out on the carpet. Dead. And I guess I should have felt victorious, but I couldn't help but think about the contrast here. He's about three ounces by three inches. I'm about 5'10 and 180 pounds. And he battled me to at least a draw. I couldn't beat him when it was just mano or mouseo. I had to bring in a kind of a cowardly weapon of mouse destruction to do the job. So I, I picked him up, you know, and I, I couldn't help but kind of admire the little guy. He had guts. I had poison. He was jumping ten times his body size. I was falling on my fanny. He was squeaky laughing and... And I was saying very naughty words. Furthermore, he was by far the best groomed dead mouse I ever saw with all that hairspray. I know. I didn't have much choice. If I was going to pry my lady wonder wench off the dresser, I had to go mano a so. But I kept thinking about when I was a kid, you know, how much fun I had with hickory dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. And how I always used to tell our kids about 'Twas the night before Christmas. And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And a long time ago, when television sets had rabbit ears, they also had those little mouse ears that Annette Funicello used to wear on her head. And everybody sang, I see you again tomorrow, K-E-Y. Why? Because we like you, M-O-U-S-E. E So good night Mr Mouse you did good you didn't beat me but i really didn't beat you either your mama would be proud of you i'm proud of you you did good Whoa. All the way to sleep. Good night.